We cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. Brene Brown. This is Ash from the Upside Down Podcast, and you're listening to Miss J, The Renovation. Alexa, how can I be happier? Hmm, I'm not sure. Yeah, me either. Episode 9. Well, that was unexpected. It's like saying, oh, I'm doing fine, and then there's a voiceover from the narrator that's like, she was in fact not doing fine. Hello there, Champagne Dreamers, and welcome to Episode 9 of Miss J the Renovation. This is the limited series podcast that I'm sure literally fives of tens of you were sure I was never going to finish. Let's just put it out there right away at the start. It's been several hot minutes since we've done an episode of the renovation, and there's all kinds of reasons for it, and I'm going to be talking about that throughout the episode. This is kind of the midway checkpoint. For those of you, God bless you, who have been here since the beginning, you know that this is my podcast series where I've been going through a number of self-help books and doing some self-examination, some reflection, and really trying to fast-track my way to a better life. Now, when I say fast-track, Clearly, I'm not very good at anything fast. It's been almost a year since the last episode of this series came out. April 3rd of 2020 is when episode came out, and it's been a wild ride. But that whole last year and really this whole series is what this episode is about. This is the midway check-in. This is the point where we take stock and figure out what did we learn from the first half of the project and how can we use that to reshape and refocus the second half. Let's just jump right into it. Let's get into part one. Part one. So what happened? So let's take a journey back. Let's remember November of 2018. That's when I published the first episode of Miss J the Renovation. And I really thought, I mean, I really thought this was going to be like a five, six month project. I thought I was just going to burn through these self-help books. We're going to make a few episodes and just kind of make fun of them and talk about how cheesy self-help can be and maybe have a few kind of introspective moments where we think about things that we've learned, blah blah, blah. Here we are over two years later, and we're just barely getting to the halfway point. This project got away from me so quickly. And in some ways, I think it's a case of you put things into your life that you need, even when you don't know why you need them or how you need them or what role they're going to play. And for me, I think I was really looking for an opportunity to spend some time thinking about myself and the kind of life that I want to lead. There were some things going on in my life, and it really kind of made me want to think about the life that I was living and how I could make it into the life that I wanted to live. So even though the project was initially designed to just be kind of this fun, lighthearted, introspective thing, I think that I sought out self-help books because I really was looking for some guidance, some new perspective. I think that this was the universe or whatever you happen to believe in in terms of the world, putting these things in my way to challenge me, to frustrate me 
to help me grow, to help me change, and in some cases to show me what I don't need. There were certainly some steps along this path that were not things that I really needed in my life, but even though it started as this thing, it became something else, and it's been quite the adventure. Now, where I was at when I first started this series, I was traveling a lot. So I had a job as a corporate trainer, and for a long time, I was doing a lot of travel. For about three and a half, almost four years, I was traveling away from home close to 50% of the year and sometimes more. There was one year where I was actually gone more than I was home. And don't get me wrong, it was a wonderful opportunity and I enjoyed myself. I spent a lot of time in Seattle, which I loved. I spent a lot of time in Phoenix, which I didn't love nearly as much. I got the chance to go to the Philippines, to Costa Rica, to Ireland. So I'm not upset about that job or the travel or anything. I knew what I was getting into. I didn't always know that it was going to be that much. And there were times where I turned down trips because I said, I just need some time to be at home and become more grounded and feel like I belong someplace. You know, you can only write so many rent checks when you're not there for the majority and sometimes all of that month without feeling like maybe you should stick around for a little bit. But I was doing lots of traveling and it was very exciting and tiring and exhausting and challenging and wonderful and all of these things. But I kept finding myself feeling more and more disconnected. I didn't feel like I really belonged at home when I was at home. It wasn't like I felt like when I came home, I was coming back to this place that I belonged, that I felt really grounded in. I wasn't really feeling terribly connected to where I was. And then I was going off to these different places and having these adventures and, you know, having these different work experiences, which was great. But that also wasn't home. So I was feeling like I didn't really have a place where I just belonged, where I felt like that was where I needed to be, where I should be, where I was growing, where I was being fulfilled. As I was reading through these books, it started to bring up some of those feelings of what does it mean? to be home? What does it mean to be connected to a place and to your experience? And so that's what a lot of the early part of this project was, was really coming to terms with the idea that I didn't really have a place that I felt terribly connected to. I had friends and I had attachments and things, but ever since I became single again, ever since I got divorced, I felt a little bit kind of adrift in the world. And this was a chance for me to really dig in and look at it. And so I had to kind of reevaluate and think about what this project meant. What was the purpose of this project? And that was something that I did, and it really kind of surprised me. Part two, the story so far. So let's do a little The Story So Far kind of segment. You know, like when Netflix puts out a new season of something and they give you that little preview clip that'll tell you what happened in the previous seasons. But let's review what has happened in the project so far. So there are 14 books total and we're at the halfway point. So I've already gone through seven of the books, The Squad, and they really kind of shook things up in ways that I wasn't really expecting. I started the series with Lee Crutchley's How to Be Happy or at Least Less 
of sad. I mean, how could I not? The title just made me laugh. This idea of, well, if you can't shoot for happy, just try to be less sad. And I think it comes from a good place, obviously. Any improvement is going to be some sort of improvement, even if it doesn't get you to the goal. That's why so many things fail, is because people don't realize that incremental change is important. It's not just about point A and point B, but all of the little sort of goals and victories that happen along the way. That's what sustains you. So I understand the motivation behind it, but it just made me laugh. And that one just ended up being kind of a disappointment, but also just really not what I needed. It was sort of a workbook. I hadn't paid enough attention to it when I was ordering it. I just was so tickled by the title that I just threw it in my cart. But I didn't realize it was a workbook and they were having you draw pictures and make lists. And the little interstitial quotes and things that he included in the book were actually more useful to me than the exercises. I just wasn't in the mood. I wasn't in the proper headspace to want to draw myself as an emoji or to put my feelings on a t-shirt. You know what I mean? And so that one kind of disappointed me and it frustrated me because it was the first book in the series and I was already giving up before I even finished it because I felt like I don't have time to do all of these exercises right now. That's not the purpose of this project. This project is supposed to be quick. It's supposed to be something that I work through at a pace, right? If only I could have seen where I am now, I might have taken the time and maybe I would have a different reaction to it. But I thought, you know what? I need to get through this faster. So I gave up on that and I felt kind of defeated and I moved on to Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass. How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. And this one was much more emotional than I expected. This is one that was recommended to me by my friend Jenny. And I really thought that this was going to be just kind of a light, poppy kind of self-help, but I thought it was going to be different than it was. I don't even know what I expected it to be. And then I started reading it and it turned out it was just yet another version of The Secret. And that's one of the things that has really frustrated me with all of this. And that's something that I think really is something for self-help as a whole to contend with, is ever since The Secret came out, Everything that has come after it is a rehash of the secret. Everything is about manifesting and putting your energy and your intention, which is all great. I don't argue with that, but it leads to this mentality of if you haven't achieved something, it's either your fault because you didn't believe hard enough, you didn't manifest enough energy into it, or it just means it hasn't been your time yet. So keep manifesting, keep going. And so it's something that can never really be disproven, quote unquote, because if you don't achieve your dreams, if you don't achieve the things that you're trying to do, they can either say, well, did you really manifest it? Maybe you had self-doubt. Maybe you started to believe all the negative things and then you just manifested that. Or they'll say, but it just hasn't happened yet. Keep working at it. Keep going. And so then you get to an end point where eventually you die. And then I guess you can't be like, see, I told you because you're dead. I'm just wondering how long that woman was doing her affirmations because I've been doing mine every day and I want to believe, but nothing is happening. And I just don't think it's working. I, I just don't think it will work for, for me. I hear fear. I hear doubt. You have to believe love to receive love. Keep repeating your affirmations and eventually your heart will catch up with your head. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's the thing, though. I did find love. I believed that there was someone out there for me. And I met him, finally. And we had a beautiful wedding. And then everything just fell apart. And I'm worried. I'm afraid that he took away my ability to believe. And I hate him for that because I always believed before. And now I just feel lost. And I I am. I'm trying to put myself out there, but I feel hopeless. Perhaps you're not 
really putting yourself out there. Oh. No, she's out there. I mean emotionally and physically. Maybe you're not looking for love in a real way. Maybe you're not really trying. Maybe you're not really out there. Believe me, she's out there. That's why I included that clip from Sex in the City. A lot of people were probably wondering, where did that come from? It's from season five of the show after Charlotte's marriage falls apart. And she's taken Carrie to this motivational speaker who's basically peddling some version of the secret, using affirmations and positive thinking to manifest the life that you want. And a woman has just gotten up and said how wonderful it is and how it worked. And she found the person that she was meant to be with. And Charlotte follows it up with her question. She's being open and vulnerable and really questioning, is this something that I can believe? in. I feel hopeless. I have trouble believing. And it hurts me that I have trouble believing. And rather than being open to that and really supporting her in that moment, the woman just gives her more of the secret bullshit. And it's just like, well, maybe you're not really out there. Maybe you're giving in to fear. Maybe you're manifesting the wrong thing. And I love that Carrie steps in and is like, no, she's out there. You need to believe her. And I just thought that was a beautiful moment because the secret really does get on my nerves. So it just really frustrated me. And I got really emotional. I did not expect to get that emotional during this book. I thought it was just going to be light, poppy, inspirational goodness, you know, typical white woman bullshit. I thought it was going to be live, laugh, love, stenciled on your fucking living room wall. And it just really frustrated me that it put so much emphasis on the secret because it just becomes such a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes so negative in a way once you see what it's doing and then it doesn't allow you to question things in certain ways because if you do, then you're doubting it. And then if you're doubting it, you can't manifest it. So I really got upset at this book. This one really put me through it. And I was up and down for a while. I was believing it. I was ready to drink the Kool-Aid. And I have this moment that I described during the episode with a bee at the hotel pool in Arizona. And it's just a mess. It's a mess. I really wasn't sure if I was going to get anything because I quit the first book. And then this book just made me angry. And I thought, is this just going to be me being frustrated and crying on the internet? Is that what this whole project is? Just when I was about to give up hope, I started How to Be Single and Happy, Science-Based Strategies for Keeping Your Sanity While Looking for a Soulmate by Jennifer L. Tates. And let me tell you, this is one that I thought was going to be one of those kind of clingy, weepy sort of books, and it was not. It was the first one that I actually found really, really useful. And it probably shouldn't have surprised me. It says right on the back that she's a board certified expert in cognitive behavioral therapy. And what little I do know of therapy from my brief stints in it during college is that CBT is generally something that I like, something that I think is useful and that works for me. And this one really felt like there were some practical, useful guidelines. And it wasn't just about people who are actively dating or actively looking for a partner. It's good coping skills about how to feel happy when you're single. If you're not in a relationship, how can you just be happy the way that you are, whether you're dating or looking or not? 
So this really felt like maybe I was on the right track. I was very excited when I got to this book. I was so glad that I finally had something that really felt like it was going to be useful to me. And even though I expected that episode to be one of the more emotional, because I was talking about my divorce and I was talking about my not so great experience in a polyamorous relationship. And I was talking about somebody that I'd been interested in online who died. It was a whole thing. I know, very dramatic. But it actually was very reassuring and the logical part of my brain kicked in and was like, this is good information. You need to listen to this. You need to pay attention. This is the book that's actually going to give you something to use in the long term. So this is the one that probably saved this project. If I had had too many more books that turned out like the Jen Sincero or like the Lee Crutchley, I don't know if I could have made it all the way through as far as I have. This really was the book that made me feel like this was still a worthwhile project. This was going to be a project that really gave me something to help really address the problems and the concerns I have related to my mental health. And then we get to Little Victories by Jason Gay. This was another book like the Lee Crutchley where it was something pretending to be something else. So it's sort of set up as being an advice book or a self-help book, but it's really a sort of loosely organized memoir. Jason Gay is a journalist and an interviewer, and he talks a lot about some of the different experiences that he's had during his career, and he also talks about his relationship with his father. And instead of just being annoyed with the fact that I was being bamboozled by another book, I really connected with his story of his father and his father's death. And I think it really sort of made me stop for a moment and think about what the rest of this series is going to be. So I've been very open on my website and in my podcasts about things that have happened in my life, like my divorce and just feelings of depression and dealing with those kinds of issues. And one thing that I've never really gotten very deep into is the trauma around my relationship with my father. And the more I get into this project, the more I realize that that's at the crux of not only this project, but really everything that I do. There's so much anger and sadness that I hold because of what that relationship was like and how it played out that I just haven't ever really dealt with. And that's something that, you know, when I did try out therapy, it wasn't super effective because there were some things I just wasn't willing to engage with. And of course, it's usually those things we don't want to engage with that are the root of the problem. And I just wasn't ready. And I don't know if I'm ready now. I mean, I look at the second half of the books that I've selected for the squad, and I have a little bit of fear around the How to Forgive book, because I feel like that's the one thing I've never been able to forgive. That's the one thing I've never been able to really conquer, is how I feel about my father and my relationship with him as a kid, which left me feeling like I didn't deserve love. And that deep down feeling that I am unlovable is what has led to problems in my relationships in all areas of my life. And so I'm really having some trepidation about the second half of this project and how it's going to go. It's scary.
But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's review the other books that I've read so far. So next up was Amy B. Shares How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. This was an interesting book because it's much more in line with my own spiritual, energetic practices, and it really felt like it had some useful things to do. It wasn't like a workbook with emojis and those kinds of things. It was much more of a workbook that gave you practical exercises to get energy flowing. And if you're into energy work like I am, it was much more helpful and much more useful. It felt like an action book rather than just a busy work book. And then, of course, we got to Daycon Green's Me, My Biggest Solution. That was definitely a bit of levity in what's been a kind of up and down, more serious project. This is what I had in mind when I thought about the project. Digging into books and kind of picking at them and being a little bit snarky. And this is one that the author reached out to me. I write reviews on Amazon from time to time, and so I get messages from authors who are trying to promote their recent book. And this is one he reached out to me. And I said, you know what? I will do you one better. I'm going to go ahead and include this in my podcast series and I'll let you know when the episode drops. And I did email him when the episode went live and I haven't heard back from him. I don't imagine that he would get back to me. I was not particularly kind. I tried to find some things of value in this, but it was just kind of a weird read, kind of a strange book. It was a wild ride. Let me tell you. At least it was short. And then the last book in the first half, Uninvited, Living Loved When You Feel Less Than, Left Out, and Lonely by Lisa Turkwurst is the first of two books in this series that come from a Christian perspective. Now, I grew up Christian. I grew up Methodist. I am no longer Christian. I don't subscribe to any sort of Christian tradition. And this book really kind of reminded me of why there was a lot in here that really felt like the things that I've discovered about mainstream Christianity especially when it comes to how they portray and enforce gender roles, how they think about sex and sexuality. And I think that for a certain kind of Christian white woman, maybe this is a very comforting book. But to me, it just sort of felt like down-home propaganda. I just wasn't buying it. Like a lot of queer people, I just have too much history with Christianity in this country to ever come back to that sort of tradition. Underneath all of the nice words and the kind of homey colloquial expressions that she uses, I can see a lot of the same arguments and tools that were used against me when I was growing up and trying to figure out who I was. And in that episode, I shared some experiences, especially around a pastor that I had when I was a kid, that were really hurtful. And I think that you You can find love and support without needing to have a religious background. I don't think that Christians have any sort of monopoly on compassion. And I think that if we see the way that so many different types of modern Christianity have fused with modern politics, so many Christians have lost any sense of empathy or compassion. And it's become this blunt instrument. So this book really didn't have much to offer me. I didn't give it a very sympathetic read. And I don't think she deserves that. frankly. I think that as you read her words, you can see that she's the kind of person that wouldn't think that I was a very good, godly person anyway. So if she doesn't really care about me as an individual, as a queer person, why should I give a shit what she has to say in her book? People like her have been making me feel less than, left out, and lonely my entire life. So thanks, but no thanks. You got my $16.99 for the book and the time I spent reading it, and that's all you're going to get from me.
part three. You're doing great, sweetie. So as I started this project and as I was working through those first few books, I noticed that things started to kind of bubble up for me. I noticed that things started to feel a little bit uncomfortable and I started to bump into those things that I'd been avoiding, that I'd been actively not engaging with. And it took me a while to break out of this idea that this was just a fun project, that this was just something to make a funny podcast, that there were really deep-seated issues and things that I needed to deal with that were coming up because of this. It's like I was treading water and underneath the water, I'm moving frantically, but on top I'm trying to appear really cool and calm and collected when really I'm trying not to drown. You know, and I'm watching all of this happen in my life where people would be like, are you okay? And I'm like, don't worry, I'm doing great. You know, like that meme of you're doing great, sweetie. And then it's like a narrator coming out over top being like, she was in fact not doing great. You know, like she was not doing great at all. Instead of feeling like I was making a lot of progress, I felt like I was becoming more angry and more isolated. You know, I started to recognize a lot of the things that were wrong, and then the books that I was reading didn't feel like they had the right tools to help me deal with those things. So things were coming up and they were surfacing, and it's like, great, if you have the right tools and resources to work through that. That's why people go to therapy instead of just reading self-help books. That's why I include the disclaimer on every one of these podcasts that self-help books are not a suitable substitute for proper mental health care. But a bitch has things to do. I just wanted to fast track some things. And so I just found myself getting more angry and more isolated and just feeling really alone. And there was a lot of stress going on with my job at the time and the toll of traveling as much as I was. And then when my job changed and I moved teams, not traveling at all, I really felt like a lot of the pieces of my life that I once felt were comfortable and settled were really up in the air and were really all over the place. And I didn't feel like I had that strong foundation. You know, for a long time, work was one of those things that when other things felt like they were bad or out of control, I could turn to my work and say, I'm doing a great job. I'm having fun traveling. I'm getting to see new places. And so that kind of got mixed up and it just really was all messed up. And it really felt like I was entering a time where things needed to change. Things needed to be rearranged. I couldn't depend on the status quo anymore. The status quo was being taken apart and I needed to really focus and try to do that. And I felt like some of the books were letting me down. You know, Lee Crutchley's book might be great for somebody who just wants a workbook to try to work through some things. But with all the changes and everything, I was just mad at it. And I was mad at myself for not being able to just like put on my big girl panties and deal with it. It was very frustrating. Part four, the shit hits the fan. So all of this is going on and all of this is coming up for me and things are bubbling up and things are starting to feel weird and uncomfortable and I'm angry and I'm frustrated. But then who could have predicted what the actual fuck happened with the year 2020 and Miss Rona? The pandemic hit and just shut some shit down. 
And of course, that impacted this project and it impacted how I think about this project and about how I think about my mental health and how I think about how I want to live my life. And it really kind of surprised me because in some ways it absolutely made things worse. In some ways, it absolutely contributed to my isolation, to my feeling of being alone I mean, I work out of my home, but I have just a little rented office space and I'm pretty much there by myself. There's rarely anybody else ever there. And so I go to work and I sit by myself and I come home and I sit by myself. It's impossible to do that for such a long time and not have some impact. You know, I think about the fundamental ways that I think about just how I exist in the world and the way that that changed over the last year. And obviously this is true for everyone, but it really was a problem. And I think one thing that we haven't really talked about enough with this pandemic is how it affected people who are single, who live alone. Because if you're married or if you have a child or even if you have a pet, you're still at home with some other being. You're getting some sort of social interaction. I mean, a pet maybe isn't exactly the same as having a roommate or a partner or whatever, but it's still some sort of interaction, some other living presence there with you. I didn't have any of those things. And so I was really kind of battling this out by myself. And I was taking the pandemic very seriously. You know, I used to not think anything of going to the grocery store multiple times a week. I would get done with work and I'd say, I'm going to pop by the grocery store and pick out something for dinner. And let me tell you now in the last year, I have developed very different habits. I grocery shop like a fucking doomsday prepper. It is not uncommon for me to go into a grocery store and spend $300. But that might be the only big grocery shop that I do for an entire month. There may be little things here or there, maybe a craving or maybe I missed an ingredient for something I wanted to make and I'll have to make a quick trip to grab a few little essentials or maybe just something to treat myself or something to make something that I'm in the mood for. I really only have one major grocery shop every month. I just get in, I'm tactical about it and I get out. You know, end times the end is near and it felt like it and I kind of joke about it now but it really did feel like that and so there was all that compounded isolation and the fact that I wasn't even going out to grocery shop or do things like that I was already a pretty big online shopper but I started buying things online that I never buy you know cleaning products and things like that a trip to the dollar store would be like my social interaction you know I had very few people in my bubble at the very beginning of the whole quarantine lockdown, I had two people that I considered in my bubble. Now, those people weren't always so great about keeping their own bubbles clean, and so I probably wasn't as safe or as conscientious as I thought I was. But I really tried to limit it. And I think there are some other things that people don't really think about with people who live alone and with people who are single, and the weird crossfire that you were often caught in. Because on the one hand, you've got these friends or people that you know from work or whoever they are who don't believe that it's really a threat or don't believe that it's happening. And they're just running around and living their best life and they're pissed off because they can't get a haircut. And they're just going around without their masks like a dick. And you're trying to be good. You're trying to stay inside. You're wearing your mask. You're not making extra trips to places you don't need to go. But then you feel isolated and you feel alone. And so you try to have a little bit of social interaction 
action, you know, to save your fucking life because you're trapped in your home by yourself for months at a time. And then other people are mad at you because, well, why should you go out and see these people? Why should you take this one day to do something? And it's like, you know what? Sometimes you have to do some things to stay alive. There's a difference between the fucking dick nosed bitches at the grocery store who can't wear their masks properly and want to storm state capitals with guns and shit to say that they have a constitutional right to get a haircut and play golf. Those people, I'm not afraid to say it, are cunts. Men who have families and play golf are cunts. You don't have time, fellas. You've got a family, not a spare six hours to just waltz around a park with your mates while your women folk do unpaid labor. Grow up! There's more proof men have named all the things. What's the worst thing you can call someone? Cunt. It's a reference to female genitalia, and I won't have it. When I use the C word, I mean it. I mean it to be the worst thing you can call someone, but I don't associate it with my own biology or anybody's biology. Do you know what I see in my mind's eye when I use the C word? A literal golfer. (laughs) Just a rich white chump in chinos and one glove. What a cunt. Honestly, it cannot be a coincidence that they're called country clubs. Come on. But you know what? Single people who are alone and who sometimes say, you know what? I don't need to go to TJ Maxx today, but I'm going to fucking go to TJ Maxx because I just need to be around some other people. And I can stay six feet away and do whatever, but I need to get out of the house. I think that if you don't have any sort of interaction in your home space and you needed to do that for your mental health, I'm not going to judge you for that. And I certainly had days where I just needed to go somewhere that wasn't my own house and it wasn't my office. And I wasn't going to feel bad about that because I had generally been trying to live safely and conscientiously. But there's always those voices that want to judge you and want to be nasty about it. And that nastiness is something else that I noticed during this pandemic that I really lost a lot of the compassion that I try to bring to situations. I saw so much entitlement and so much white nonsense of just people acting like utter assholes as if they couldn't understand what empathy for another person might look like. It was just disgusting. And I really started to lose my patience. I mean, I was ready to like get kicked out of a Hugo's for throwing down with some dick-nosed bitch who didn't know how to wear their mask correctly. Like I was on edge. I went into the grocery store looking for a fight. And that made it even worse. When that's your only social outlet is that every once in a while you go to the grocery store or maybe you go to the Dollar Tree to pick up some things. But then you're also mad and frustrated the whole time that you're there because people are acting like assholes and complaining about masks or not wearing them correctly or just being stupid and being awful people. It makes it very difficult. But I also have to say that something that really surprised me about this whole pandemic experience were the positive things, were the benefits that I found. Because I am somebody who lives my life on social media. You know, I'm a content creator. I have a website. I make podcasts. I've started making YouTube videos now. So much of my life is lived online and in these social media spaces. And there's all this pressure to be out there in the world and always networking and creating and sharing 
testing and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And the nice thing about the pandemic, if you can describe it that way, is that a lot of that pressure was taken away. You know, I didn't feel this pressure to be on the dating apps because it's like you can't go out and see anybody anyway. Where are you going to go? All the restaurants are closed. And so I realized that some of my loneliness before the pandemic wasn't even true to how I was feeling. It was more about how I felt I should feel. You know, society treats you like you're not complete if you're not in a relationship. So if you're single, you should be out there and trying to meet people or you should be on the apps and trying to find people. Anybody, just someone take me. And with the pandemic, there wasn't that pressure. You didn't have to be out there trying to find someone all the time. And I found that I grew to like my own company more than I ever thought before. Yes, I still had those moments where I needed to get some social interaction, but I found I could get that from friends and from those little trips out into the world. And the loneliness took on a different sort of character. And I found that I wasn't as afraid to be alone with my own thoughts. And it also, in some weird way, helped to spurn my creativity. I finally started the YouTube channel that I've been talking about forever. I clearly didn't get a lot of work done on this podcast series, but I did other things and I did a lot of things on my website. I launched a series called Face Friday, where most weeks I would do a new face and do a step-by-step walkthrough on my website with photos of the products and how it looked at each step of the process. And then I would also include related information in my YouTube videos. And I really bumped up the number of reviews that I was doing. I mean, let's be real. I shopped through a lot of emotions during this pandemic. I bought a lot of makeup. We ate a lot of food. I never thought I would sign up for a loyalty program for a food delivery service. But let me tell you, a bitch is a DoorDash member now. So I, it's a whole weird mixture of good and bad and unexpected surprising things about how I feel about myself and my life because of this pandemic. And while I do think that single people like me are going to have certain types of trauma that we're going to be unpacking for a while. And hopefully this will make us better prepared if, and unfortunately, probably when something like this happens again. I also got some really amazing gifts and some things that really inspired my creativity. I'm excited that... I went through this and made it out on the other side because a lot of people didn't. And so when the shit hit the fan, all you can do is kind of deal with it and roll with it and look for the blessings. I think it is important to look for the blessings in situations like this because there are some of those social pressures that I lived under before the pandemic that I have let go. I just don't give a shit anymore. And in some ways it made it easier to try to create things because I wasn't just creating to see the reception once it was out into the world. You know, I always thought that I was creating just for myself, but this world where I was so isolated and it was just me, it allowed me to just make the things that I wanted to make for myself. And it made that okay. Part five, let's Marie Kondo this shit.
Now that I've had this time on lockdown and I've had some time to really think and reassess and come to better grips with what's important to me, I'm excited to keep moving on this project. I've been saying since pretty early on that this turned into a different project than I expected it to be from the very beginning, but I think I'm now coming around to this idea of I have some real changes to make and I need to start making some moves to get the proper mental health care to work through them as well. But I'm also interested to do some of this work myself and to really approach this in ways that are going to be helpful to me in the long term. That it's not about the quick fix. It's not about the snarky, bitchy drag queen making fun of self-help books. Now, there will probably still be some of that. And my next book I'm very excited about. This was a recommendation from my friend Erica, and it's called Fiercely You. Be fabulous and confident by thinking like a drag queen. Lucky me, I'm halfway there. So I'm excited to read this book and to get into the last seven books in the squad and see what I can do with this new perspective. Now that I've had this time on my own to reflect, you know, I read tarot cards and the symbolism of the tarot has always been really meaningful to me. And there's a card in the major arcana called the hermit. And it's really about a time where you step away from people and relationships and daily pressures and you take some time to be introspective and really think about what's important and what's guiding you. And I feel like this last year has been hermit energy for me. I feel like as much as I was feeling isolated and lonely, I was also getting rid of the trash and I was refining what I cared about and what made me feel fulfilled. And I found new reserves of creativity and excitement for some of the projects that I have. So I'm excited to dive into this new book and keep going on the series and see it through to the end. Because I want to create something that sparks joy for me. You know, I don't want this to be a series that feels like work. I want to have fun and have thoughtful moments. And I really just want to Marie Kondo this shit. I want things and projects in my life that bring me joy and bring me fulfillment. And that's what I'm looking for as I move into the second half of this project. So why are we still sitting here? Let's get into it. Part 6. The World Turned Upside Down For the third time since I started this series, my opening Brene Brown quote was read by my dear friend Ash over at the Upside Down podcast. Ash and Tori do a phenomenal job creating an amazing fan podcast for fans of Stranger Things on Netflix. And they've really done a great job of continuing to put out content and give people things to listen to during quarantine. You know, a lot of people are binge watching their favorite shows. It's kind of a coping mechanism and it can be comforting to watch things that you've seen before. And so a lot of people are returning back to some of their favorite shows and watching them over again and maybe watching through them multiple times. And it's great to have the Upside Down podcast where you can go in and get those additional pieces of information about the sets and about different people on the cast and crew. And they really have just been wonderful, supportive people to me on my podcasting journey. So once Once again, I just want to say a huge thank you to Ash and Tori at the Upside Down Podcast. I really appreciate you. I love what you've been putting out. You've helped get me through some ugly days in lockdown. I'm so excited to see what you come up with once we finally get a look at season four. 
stay strange. You can find the Upside Down Podcast, all of the great places that you already listen for podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and absolutely make sure you follow them on Instagram, at the Upside Down Podcast, and you can visit their website for more information at www.theupsidedownpod.com. Miss J, The Renovation is a 17-episode limited series podcast presented by Champagne Dreams Productions. While we're all here to have fun, mental health is a serious issue. Nothing in this podcast series should be taken as medical advice, and listening to podcasts or reading self-help books is not a substitute for proper mental health care. If you or someone you know is considering suicide, please contact the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionhotline.org for more information. I love all of my champagne dreamers out there. Stay safe and stay alive. This episode of Miss J the Renovation includes royalty-free music from bensound.com. The tracks featured in this episode in the order that they appeared are Clear Day, Enigmatic, Buddy, November, and Summer. For these great royalty-free tracks and more, visit bensound, that's B-E-N sound.com. This episode also features brief clips from Sex and the City and Hannah Gadsby's Netflix comedy special, Douglas. These clips are used under the fair use provision of the U.S. Copyright Code. Miss J The Renovation is written and directed by Chris M. Stoner and is a Champagne Dreams production.